Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors at the church at Greer Station and your host. The Weekly is a 20-minute podcast devoted to books, current events, and issues relevant to the life of our church. Yesterday, on Easter Sunday, I spent some time talking about the happy ending, the comedic ending that the scriptures promise us, and in particular, how Jesus' resurrection has brought that ending into the present. Now, anytime we start talking about the end, eschatology, last things, people get all sorts of intimidated and confused. And unfortunately, this thing that's held out to us as a source of great hope, the resurrection that is to come, has become a source of confusion and intimidates folks and makes folks obsessed with PowerPoints and charts and graphs. And so today with John Hyatt, I wanted to provide just a little bit of clarity as to what the scriptures say about the end uh, and, and hopefully to stir your affections for that day that is held out before us. Give this episode a listen. I hope that it challenges you and encourages you uh, and compels you to take a deep dive into what the scriptures have to say about the last things. John, top of the morning to you. Hey, man. It's very early and we're talking about eschatology. It is early. Yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how this goes. All right, John, tell me, what is the most interesting place that you've been? The most interesting place I've been, um, probably Thailand. I spent yeah. about six weeks there, and Thailand is just another world. Yeah? What would be some of the interesting sights and sounds there? Uh, the smells are really interesting. Okay. Uh, the law of markets just have fish, and it's about 106 degrees all the time, so that is a, a recipe pretty distinct for smell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say the most interesting place that I've been is Copenhagen, Denmark. I've talked about this ad nauseum, but it was an incredible place. And they had this Little Mermaid statue in the Black Sea because Hmm. Hans Christian Andersen was Danish. And apparently he sat in this particular port and drew inspiration from the Black Sea. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So something that grieves, if I'm really honest, something that grieves and frustrates me is how confused everyone is about the end times especially Christians, because what's supposed to be the source of hope has become sensationalized to the point of ridiculous and very complicated and explainable only by paid professionals and special speakers with PowerPoints and graphs in advanced degrees. And it makes me very sad Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because the scriptures point to the end times as a very good thing, as good news. And so the aim of this conversation today is for us to just bring clarity and maybe dispel some confusion about what the scriptures say about the end. Um, so, John, what, what do you think makes folks so intimidated about eschatology, about end times? Yeah, I think maybe because the, the voices that seem loudest on this issue are usually the, the ones who, who make it very complicated. Um, that, it can be, be intimidating for, for folks to really want to step in to try to explore all of that. And then it also kind of goes with what you're saying, that usually the folks who are loudest about it, it seems like the, the, the issue becomes incredibly complicated, but also becomes kind of pessimistic mm. and just kind of frightening mm. um, that there's um, some unknown number of horrors kind of waiting for the, for the church in the future. And you, that means you better get yourself right with God right now. Mm. Um, and it really doesn't sound too great. It, it can just make you kind of fearful about what's actually going on. And so I think a lot of times it just becomes simpler to, just downplay it, dismiss it, and just not really worry about it. Hmm. Leave that to the professionals. Hmm. You know, maybe the cynical side of me like wants to point out that there's incentives to making this thing complicated mm-hmm. if you're kind of building your brand off of mm-hmm. explaining mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. But 
that's cynical me talking. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you, you've kind of got this cottage industry kind of built up around the topic that's just generally really unhelpful um, and makes folks just generally um, pretty gun-shy at, at even like reading those scriptures and feeling like they can adequately understand them. I mean, I think there are some things to point out about, uh, you know, in particular the book of Revelation is a part of the apocalyptic genre. And so, like, we acknowledge that there's all sorts of bizarre imagery and lots of moving pieces and things going on there. Um, but, you know, the book was written to be, it, it was written to struggling, hurting Christians, many of whom are being oppressed and persecuted. And it's intended to um, instill and generate hope in those Christians, not have them speculate about what American foreign policy in 2019 is going to be like, right? Right. right. So I would say if you're listening to this, if you grew up in church, probably especially around SBC life um, and influenced by uh, the Left Behind series and the like, um, we're just going to say flush all of that out of your brain for a second. Pretend like you've never heard any of that stuff just for a second and, and listen as if all of this is brand new. So, John, maybe it's helpful first. What? What does the word eschatology even mean? Yeah, eschatology means, so there are kind of two words there. The, the Greek word eschatos means like last or final. And so eschatology would be the, the, the study or the, the, the discourse about final things or the last things. And so that would just kind of really mean where is the world going? What's the direction that everything's moving toward? And especially what, what awaits Christians as God brings history to, to the point he's bringing it to, and what awaits those who don't know Christ. Um, and so that would include the resurrection, that would include judgment, that would include whatever, whatever Christ coming back means, that all kind of falls under eschatology. Okay, so if you were, to, if you were talking with someone who is brand new to these things, how would you describe the end? I think the most basic thing that we can say is that Jesus, who died and has brought about a new age through his death and his resurrection um, and his ascension to the Father, is actually going to come back. He's going to make everything that's bad and sad untrue. He's going to remove death. and He's going to establish eternal life with his people. I think that's the simplest way to look at eschatology. And everything flows from that. Mm. So it's central to the gospel. It's not just... um, Mm. It's not that the Bible talks about the gospel and then there's weird, this weird kind of tack on at the end. That's Revelation that says all this other stuff. But Revelation is actually about the gospel finally coming to full completion. Um, the, the, the point that the gospel is serving is, is bringing about uh, Christ's restoration of all things. Mm, that's a really, really helpful point. That it's not just Jesus died for your sins to get you to heaven and then there's these weird kind of complicated things that we, right. we, we kind of tacked on at the end, but rather it, eschatology or end times is part of the, the full scope of the gospel story mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh, Jesus has come to do away with sin, Satan, and death. Uh, he, he does so in his cross and resurrection and then brings it to completion upon his return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important you, you mentioned that how Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand and in like manner he will return. So physically, bodily, he's going to return to earth and upon his return he is going to, as you said, make all sad things untrue, do away with all evil, sin, and death that remains. Hmm. Uh, the final enemy to be put under his feet is death, Paul yes. says in 1 Corinthians 15. So he will establish in fullness his kingdom on earth. Now, why is it significant to talk about 
the physicalness, the earthiness, the, the bodiliness of Jesus's return um, and of what he's going to be doing here. Yeah, well, partially because the Bible presents Jesus as actually having a physical body. Uh, he's, he, he is a, a, a physical living being and he is going to come back. So we, we, we need to keep those categories clear in our head. But, but also there's just, the, it raises a question like, what's the point of physical stuff? If physical stuff is just going to completely disappear hmm. one day, then why was it made in the first place? Um, it seems like things would have been a lot simpler to just not make anything physical if if the point is just to get rid of it all by the end anyway. Hmm. Um, so that we have to have some category for stuff mattering, God doing something through creating things. Um, so that's kind of what, what I would think. Yeah, yeah, and you're speaking to um, this misconception that uh, every, everything's going to be burned up in the sense that all physical matter is going to be done away with, mm-hmm. and then existence is, is going to be this non-physical existence in the clouds right. somewhere. Right. Uh, but that's not actually how scriptures portray mm-hmm. the end. They portray mm-hmm. it as physical Jesus in his resurrected state coming and doing for all of creation what was done to him, mm-hmm. resurrecting, uh, m- making all things new. Mm-hmm. And resurrecting his people to eternal life, and then resurrecting those under judgment, re- resurrecting them to consign them to the place of judgment, right. which is hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the? How does the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed? I, I was trying to think of that. That um, oh, man. <laughs> we should totally have these memorized. This is yeah. I, well, of course I do. I just have to work through all my other biblical knowledge first. Gotta rack the brain <laughs> real hard for a second. Um, the Nicene Creed says that we believe in the resurrection of dead, the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. And that's kind of how it ends. Um, and that's beautiful in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. The resurrection of the dead. And uh, what does it say? The life to come? The life of the world to come. The life of the world to come. The new heavens and the new earth. Mm. That's fantastic. So no mention of... doesn't say anything about like... The seven uh, church ages or the Russian bear rising to destroy the (laughs) dragon or something like that. Yeah, the Apache helicopter locusts. doesn't say anything about um, pre-trib, post-trib mid-trip um whatever yeah Mm -hmm. i I think a lot of well-intentioned um folks have brought those categories to bear and upon what was a a pretty simple hope-filled framework right you know as portrayed in these early christian statements like the apostles creed and the nicene creed now when would we say that the last days began yeah so i think that's one of the categories that got really clear in my mind or that that when when it became clear it really helped me a lot was i thought the last days was still something kind of in the future there was this time right now and then the last days were going to be like you know maybe the last week leading up to before jesus came back um but the new testament actually says that the last days have begun now that we're actually in the last days um, and we've used the phrase that the cross is kind of the hinge on which history turns. Mm. And I think that's really saying that the last days have begun with um, the work of Christ, his mm. life, death, and resurrection, um, and then ultimately the, the creation of 
this new covenant people, the church, the last days have have begun to come to pass now um, since Jesus' death and resurrection. I, I would think of Hebrews 1. Mm-hmm. In the former days, God spoke through prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Right. I think of uh, Acts chapter 2, when the uh, Spirit falls on the church and people are confused, people are accusing them of being filled with new wine. And ironically, I guess they are being filled with new wine, which is the Spirit. And, and, and Peter says... Um, quotes Joel, which says in these last days, people will prophesy and and all these sorts of things. And so Peter seems to be saying that the uh, last days have begun through the Spirit's work in the church mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere else you would go for that? Um, yeah, I think First John has the, the kind of famous, the Antichrist passage, which is usually associated with our very co- uh, complicated uh, creations of, of eschatology where this mysterious antichrist figure is going to arise at the end of time um, but but the verse that's that's common with that is he's first uh, John 218 he says children it is the last hour hmm. um, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so there's the antichrist is coming he says so now many antichrists have come hmm. so it's already happened in some sense and that's not saying that there's nothing future at all but it's saying that there's some sense in which um, this has already begun. Mm. The last days are, are already somewhat here. They've kind of been here for nearly 2,000 years now. Mm. Mm. So how is this the Christian hope? How is this... Um, why, why is this a source of comfort and hope and rejoicing for Christians? Yeah, because I think, I think when you know where you're going, it kind of gives you the gumption to get there, right? Um, the reason that you endure five hours of hiking up a mountain with not very good views is because you know there's a view mm. at the top of the mountain, right? Um, and that really seems to be Paul's emphasis throughout throughout his letters is there's a certain hope at the at the end. Christ is going to come back and he's going to raise us. Um, it just gives us an idea of what we're what we're being made into as we look forward to to, to Jesus coming back. Um, and that's that's fantastic. I mean, to consider what what eternal life actually means, like just imagine. I mean, we look forward to a week of vacation, hmm. you know, for months. <laughs> um, but when we think of eternal life, you know, thousands and thousands upon millions of years of of life with Christ, like that's hard for us to even begin to fathom. Um, but I think that's where we can actually truly begin to to make sacrifices in our life now. Hmm. <clears throat> I think of all of the scriptural imagery that's used to uh, portray eternal life. I, too, on, on Easter Sunday, Isaiah 25, you know, it's described as a place where there's no, there's no death, there's no, uh, there are no tears, there's no reproach on God's people any longer. It's a place characterized by feasting and rejoicing, feasts with rich food full of marrow and well-aged wine. You have Revelation 21, which says this is a place with no tears, no mourning. Mm-hmm. The sea is no more, meaning that there's no chaos and uncertainty any longer. Um, it's a place where we are with God, the source of all comfort and delight mm-hmm. forever. Um, our bodies are made new. Our bodies are no longer decaying. Uh, creation is no longer characterized by uh, thorns and thistles. <clears throat> uh, those sorts of things. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and you're exactly right that... Um, not only is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, not only is the, the resurrection a source of great hope for us, but it also um, challenges us towards holiness, holiness and mission 
mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Unpack that a little bit. How does how does the the resurrection uh, challenge us towards holiness and mission? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think of Philippians one um, for holiness. He who began a good work in you will will bring it to completion completion at the day of Christ. Um, there's a, a motivation in the sense that um, our our new life isn't just um, kind of just a, an improved life or just kind of a, just a deposit for the future where we can experience Christ's blessings, but it's actually something that's being brought out of us now. Um, as we grow in holiness, we're actually being prepared for the future. Um, it's like we're almost being conditioned to be ready to, uh, mm. to, for, for eternal life. Um, but also mission, um, the sense that when we're offering um, the gospel to people, um, just like Acts 2 we're declaring the 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 end to which all of history has been working um, is right around the corner. Mm. Um, everything up to this point has been building to this this chance for you to to hear that that Christ is Lord over all things. Um, and also, when when we think about mission, we also have to deal with the fact that that there is eternal judgment. Um, that it's not. Um, it's not left ambiguous in scripture um, that that there is a, a message of those who do not repent will be will be judged all all sin will be um, will be dealt with either on the cross or um, in eternity and what that means is that I mean that motivates us to mission mm-hmm. I mean I think I think that's one of the reasons we're given some of those frightening passages in scripture about about the judgment of those who are apart from Christ is so that we would be motivated to, to bring Christ to those um, who did not yet know him. Yeah, that's really good. I, I love all of that, man. I love what you said about holiness. We're, we're being conditioned or prepared to mm-hmm. be inhabitants of that city. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we're we learning to love Jesus now and hate sin now because we will then. Mm-hmm. We're being prepared mm-hmm. to occupy that heavenly city, um, the New Jerusalem. And I love what you say about the the stern warnings in Scripture about judgment as a as a way to fuel us to go to our neighbors and our family members and our friends who don't know Christ, who reject Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we know that the, the end of those who do not believe is punishment, is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. experience of God's wrath. Um, the, the last, as the last question, um, what about heaven? As we think about dying and go to heaven, how does that all fit into this? Yeah, so a lot, I mean, the, the common kind of phrase is our eternal destination is heaven, right? Um, but usually what, what we think of when, when we hear that is we think of the, the cartoons where, you know, the, the, the brick falls on uh, Jer- uh, Tom's head and he, he kind of floats out and he's wearing a robe and kind of floats up in the skies. And we think, well, that's kind of what happens when you die. You go there. and Tom and Jerry. Right, Tom and Jerry. Not Just, my father, Tom. It took me a second. I, yeah, yeah, Tom and Jerry. Um, or Bugs Bunny or Roadrunner or whatever. I guess it would be Coyote, not Roadrunner. Anyway, um, so that's usually what we think of, just kind of floating ethereally in, in this kind of cloudy place forever. Um, and that's, in, in, in some sense, that's, that is what happens, right? Philippians 2 talks about the fact that uh, when, we, uh, when, when Paul dies, he will be with the Lord. He will be kept with the Lord. Um, but that's never actually presented in Scripture as the ideal ideal to be separated from mm. the body right that's not the destination uh, that's not the destination so in a sense we can say um that that our our eternal destination is heaven but the scripture actually presents heaven as kind of being reunited with earth at mm. the end of things so there is an actual resurrection 
um, heaven and earth will be fully joined again together. Um, so we need to kind of keep our categories clear when we're talking about that, but I think we also need to be kind of um, kind of gracious with one another as we try to understand exactly what, what, what we're talking about. But it is really important that we get clear on. Um, our goal isn't just to float as a kind of spirit for, for all of eternity. It's actually to have a new body, mm. um, a body that's um, not stripped uh, of mortality, but it's actually clothed with immortality. Mm. Uh, I love the language there. And in, in, is that Second Corinthians? Where it's yeah. That, yeah, we're, we're further clothed. Right, uh, right. That's so good. Um, yeah, so uh, just to be really clear, you know, when, when you go to a funeral of a, of a believer and we say we can celebrate the fact that they're with Jesus now, mm-hmm. but we can also celebrate the fact that their long-term destination and long-term hope is that they will be resurrected. They'll be reunited with their body and resurrected to a forever forever existence with mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the Christian hope. Yeah, compels us towards hope and compels us towards holiness and mission. Now, a few helpful resources. I hope this was helpful in clarifying. A few helpful resources for me. Uh, D.A. Carson's the book, The God Who Is There. We've mentioned that a couple of times in the podcast. It's a really helpful read. Uh, there's also a little booklet called Kingdom, Hope, and the End of the World, The Now and Not Yet of Eschatology. Just a short little booklet by a guy named Ian Paul. I think he's he's probably British. That's a super British name. So, so British. Um, and um, yeah, if you have any questions about any of the things that we discussed, feel free to send me an email, send John an email, or you can go to our website and submit some suggestions and questions to the weekly. Uh, and we'd love to answer any of those for you. Uh, thanks for listening, John. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Um, have a good rest of your morning, man. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening.